Um, all right, nice and comfortable. Lovely. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Stephen Hussey, and I am here in my house in Essex, my parents' house, and sitting next to me is my very good friend all the way back from school and Oxford University. It's Mr. George Taylor. Hi. Hi, George. How you doing? I'm really, I'm really well. Um, so we turned on the microphones because we've been sitting here um, writing parody Christmas songs, if you mm. must know. Um, haven't seen each other in a bit, so we're just hanging out and Blowing away the cobwebs. Blowing away the cobwebs. Uh, catching up. A couple of old... We spent of old the hands. last three years living together. We have. We spent the last three years living together in London, in lovely Holland Park, and only recently we parted ways, uh, only to find that George has come, found his way back to my house and has been sitting in my bed for since about two o'clock this afternoon. So, yeah, we thought we'd get together, and um, we said the other day, why don't we do a little podcast have a chat about things we're talking about because uh, I put out a poll on Twitter like about a year ago saying do you want more stuff from me and lots of people said yes and I was very vague about it I said you want articles videos blogs etc did you give different options on the? Poll? I gave options on the vote what, and then I just and <laughs> um, who are you <laughs> um, uh, and then I just put all the above, and people put all the above. So I thought, I'm just going to put out a lot of media mm. uh, and just see what happens. So, uh, George is... Um, George, why don't you say what you do? What's your What's your story? <laughs> Great question. I'm always... I'm sort of struggle to answer that most of the times you put me on the spot. I do a combination of things. I run a language school for Brazilians learning English. That's my kind of day job. I also do a lot of freelance editing work. My background is in literature and art uh, and I'm a bit of an obsessive for gentlemen's clothing. I wrote my dissertation at Oxford on the history of the dinner jacket uh, uh, that, and that's why I'm self-employed. I mean, and what a dissertation. Um, <laughs> and uh, Ripples still being felt. I actually realise I haven't read it. Would you let me read it? Oh, I don't even know if I've still got it to be honest. Really? Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'd love to read it. Um, I uh, George is actually getting me my first ever bespoke suit made, so he's taken me to his know, oh, quote his guy. I know a guy who knows a guy. He knows a guy um, who can apparently make suits. So we're gonna go down, and he's gonna he's gonna fit me up and squeeze me into <laughs> squeeze me into a new jacket. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So. Another thing George is very good at is is very pro. I'm gonna put it out there, George. Pro- probably the most voracious reader I know. Thank you very much. Um, the best reader you know. Yeah, the only better reader I'm aware of is Harold Bloom, who's a <laughs> Yale professor. Um, Making of more literature of it than I am. Is about ninety. Yeah. Um, but um, Apparently Herbert Asquith had a library of all the books he'd ever read and there were 30,000 books in there. Really? That's a lot. I read a lot and I'm struggling to think if I could ever get to Where 30, did he keep? Where do you think he kept it? In his house. He just owned house. a library. Yeah, I think a room in his library. Yeah, but a room I mean, there's a room and there's 30,000 books. Yeah, I probably have 500, maybe 5 or 600 books in my room and it's it's becoming it's all untenable. 
Yeah, mine's become huge, and the only way I'm getting away with it is because I took it all back to my parents' house. Yeah. Um, I don't know... If I had all my books and only lived alone right now, I don't know genuinely what I'd do. Um, yeah. Where I'd put them... Will you cram them all in storage, or is that a sin? I think a dream of mine would be to have a big kind of... Like a wall, like walls full of books in a house... I don't think that's going. Probably there you go. Just get a bigger house. That's yeah, the solution. that's the easy solution. I think something that's worth noting is we're working from Steve's laptop, and something that we definitely have in common is we keep a pretty clear track of everything we read, films we watch. I've been keeping. It started off a Hello Kitty diary that my mum bought me for Christmas. <laughs> I think to kind of mock and chastise me, but <laughs> I, I put it to use by recording all the books I read. Uh, that year and a kind of tokenistic grading out of 10 that is sort of a combination of how objectively good I think the book is plus how much I just enjoyed it yeah this is um, the difference between me and you I you you actually do a little your little star rating afterwards you yeah, give it a little yeah, ranking number out of 10 but it's it's really a gut feeling and I could I could be about five or six pages into a book and say this feels like an eight right it, I think certain things get my back up and I know they're not going to be well reviewed yeah uh, etc but it's just irrespective of the ranking just keeping track of them it really like locates me in a time and place as well I'll go back through my kind of yeah. database and I'll think oh that book that really reminds me of when we were living together and X happened yeah it's quite uh, a nice way to pinpoint things yeah I love um, I love doing it for that reason where I actually have a date and I notice more and more that I can start pinning it like once I remember that book was at that period uh, I remember exact pages and moments when yeah. I read that moment when I was sitting in the dentist office at blah blah and yeah. it's uh yeah it's really good for that but do you so if you're you know obviously a lot of people listening to this um so you say like 100 books average a year yeah if I I have I made a kind of foolish goal for myself I think it might have been actually it was a year year before I went to Oxford I was working a job that I wasn't loving and filling the time so I was working a nine to five job and was able to read a hundred books that year um, just because I had no friends around and nothing else to do but I was really in the zone and um, really had the taste for kind of I did my first degree in kind of contemporary American fiction and I really had the taste just after I finished it and wanted to kind of go down the avenues of all the authors I'd started and once you know I'd read a couple of Philip Roth books and I wanted to like collect them all kind of thing uh, and that really got me running and um, yeah that was the first year I set the goal of reading 100 that year and managed to do so and apart from a couple of years when I went back to university have been able to do so since although I am losing <laughs> losing the commitment because it is is fairly relentless and you just have to make time all the time to do so the books tend to get shorter as the year gets closer to the end of december yeah georgia after about september george starts reading only books under 100 pages mr member <laughs> so um, he won't touch any big novels anymore um, but, well that's kind it's kind of true this year i've read a couple of really massive i read that the making of the atomic bomb non-fiction Richard Rhodes that was about 600 pages 920 Jesus. pages of like uh, yeah very dry physics but and he's bought that for me so yeah, that's I great isn't it um, but yeah that has been a bit of a goal but it's it's a really good kind of target say if you're someone who likes to read a lot it's good to set yourself a target whether it's 20 books a year and that's a big improvement for you it's a great thing to do 
and I think I got to doing it by just setting myself little just little tricks like I won't finish a page until I've until I've got to the middle of the next page after turning a leaf for example so it would always make me finish right the double open page I have I'd go I have to turn the page and get to the end of the next paragraph yeah. before I can stop have to get to a chapter can't finish on an odd number it has to be a multiple of 10 <laughs> right. silly things like that they just help you you know clock up extra extra pages but obviously don't read things for the sake of it i think the more it's self-fulfilling but the more you read the more you know what you will like yeah and then you find yourself reading think oh, i like philip roth so i'll probably like john updike if you know that you're not going to get bogged down with just reading something you have no interest in yeah do you um, think it's better for people to persevere or discard things quickly so that they start finding what they're into Bits of both. I think maybe early on it's probably better to discard and seek out recommendations from people you trust. Yeah. Maybe we can be those those people. Yeah. Um, um, uh, if you uh, if you tell us what kind of things you're interested in, I can get George to give you pencil you in like five to ten recommendations. I think I I um my first job after I left school before I went to university I worked at Waterstones the big bookshop in in the UK and that really got me going. I always liked literature, but kind of being a bit of a kid in the candy store sort of yeah. silly metaphor but um you're just exposed to everything and new stuff and it's really exciting and it it's also that kind of thing just going into a bookshop buying stuff from a bookshop of course is great but it's a good way to kind of refresh your mind for what's already on your shelf i'm sure everyone has a pile of books that they've not yet read i'll often buy secondhand books and they might be in a really kind of boring cover or like a brown dust jacket and you think that's not interesting but you'll go and see the new edition of it in a really lovely Penguin classic, and you think, oh, I should read that. Yeah. And it, it gets you back into actually opening the book rather than being bogged down by what a horrible second-hand cover it has. I don't like it when they dress up something that is actually quite an average old book in a nice, it's really a cool, new cover, ja- yeah. sexy new jacket, yeah. and then you go into it and you go, I think there's a reason I haven't heard of this, because yeah. I don't think it's great. Sometimes, yeah. So sometimes they sort of burn you on that, where they do a really good marketing stunt and you're like what what is this strange obscure thing and uh and it's not very good yeah Um, but we i mean you and i both kind of track what we watch what we listen to um what we read i feel like if you're reading that kind of volume it's a bit like when people say if you do an mba you can either sleep party or work you can do two of them but not all three and it's like you can listen to music watch films read you probably can't do all three of them yeah if you're really reading and watching a lot of films you're not going to buy loads of new albums what one do you sacrifice more probably films probably falls at the wayside the most for me um i do listen to a lot of music yeah i i think music's easily my worst um vice out of the no 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 it's the it's the one i'm the least uh least knowledgeable on because i i tend to like listen to the same things a lot and once I like something, it's like, in terms of new... I'm more likely to go and discover old things, but seeking out new things, it's it's strange. Because in, in anything else, with films, with TV, with books, I'm pretty open to anything. And whereas musically, I don't have an avenue for... It's not like there's like... Maybe, maybe there is. Maybe this is how ignorant I am. But there's not like a Netflix for music where it's like... Spotify, you know, Spotify. I just want to... There is Spotify, but there's this, the discovery thing, I guess, it, it just... It very seldom gives me something that 
is exciting. It just goes, here's things that sound like stuff you like. Yeah. And I just go, no, I'm not so into that. I think and that it, it, it never like wows me with some, yeah. And, and I don't know. So I always find with music, I'm always like, I'll get like, people ask me what I, new stuff I like. And it's like, I'm listening to the, the same Kendrick Lamar album that's already a year old. And it's like, oh, I liked that. So I've mm. got that on a lot or, you know, whatever it is, some band that's already like, already now dated and the newest stuff I just tend to like I don't know it's always just like oh I just know what's in pop music like yeah. I'll know some the algorithms for things music. like Spotify I think the discovery stuff is good if you're just coming at it and saying just hit me with new stuff if you come at it with preconceptions of what you like it, it's harder for it to recommend I think because yeah. there's just so much more volume of music but I'm, I'm wondering now if like um, this is something I've just turned 30 and I'm wondering if this is something of maybe I'm just getting older because I, when I was a teenager, I feel like I was very clue, like I was like watching all those music channels. Maybe it was the heyday of them. Mm. But I was flicking through like Kerrang and MTV and all these like all those channels that were on in Sky at that time, and just used to go back and forth between them, and yeah. I knew everything that was like. Like, I knew indie stuff, I knew, like, more heavy rock stuff, I knew pop stuff, I knew, like, the, you know, garage and R&B stuff at the time, and it just felt like I had a complete, like, sweep on everything that was, that was going on. sort of pre-internet, right? It was, it was coinciding, but it was like, it was like Napster days. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the internet has made accumulating music a very different experience and then music on TV is very different as well, right? Yeah. Do you think it just like decentralized it so much that there's no, there's not like a place where, I, I don't know, it's just too scattered. Like there's just like pockets of EDM people over there. There's pockets of indie people. There's pockets of pop. Like it's just all scattered too much now. Mm. So you just kind of have to find your thing. Contemporary music is almost like a, I don't know, like a mono... It's just a big homogenized melting pot of a bit of everything, really. I don't right. feel like it's there's loads of cliques in the way that maybe in the noughties there'd be kind of people who like the Strokes or indie kids, and then people who like Fifty Cent are rap kids. It's like rap is sort of emo music now, and that's got dance beats in it and a guitar solo. It's all very like sort of mashed together as genres. Um, yeah, I don't think we're really qualified to talk about this. It's such a disparate topic. The discovery <laughs> no, of it, I find yeah. really interesting though. So my my girlfriend's brother, he lives in um, lives in Copenhagen, and for a while was a real indie kid to the point where he said um, that he really burnt himself out. He ha he found so much stress in trying to keep abreast of new music. Like if he missed out on reading music blogs for a day he'd be behind and like right. all of his cred would be gone and it was just so much stress like get home from school read all the blogs to be able to come in the next day and say oh, I got that SoundCloud album have you right, heard that yeah. yet and if he's missed if he's a day out he's, he's toast I always find that with those ones sometimes I find those blogs where someone you know they they write about every episode of TV or whatever and when they're describing what they have like they're just constantly right just binging Netflix all day to keep up with another series and I th like I always look and I think actually that sounds really stressful having to like you know suddenly a new series drops of whatever House of Cards or something and until you've watched them 11 episodes you're just not part of an important conversation I think me film or 
TV is the one that I would sacrifice above the others because it's the one that is the least convenient to consume. Like right. you have to close everything else off and sit in a place and watch it. Yeah. You can carry a book with you on the train. Obviously, music's a lot more passive if you want it to be. You can go running and listen to music. So you can kind of consume it a lot and more. And a book than makes a film. you feel sort of better for consuming it. Yeah. You don't feel great for just binge watching series, right? No, well, it depends what it is, but yeah. no, generally not. Um, depends what sort of trash you're reading, I suppose. But yes, there's something righteous about getting away through a book that you don't even feel if you listen to the audiobook equivalent of it that feels like a sort of dirty cheat to <laughs> yeah yeah um, um, yeah it's weird now when you get people who say like like do you think <laughs> I don't know if this is like a snobbish thing to say but like do you think it's legit when people say like oh I read this really you know really huge book recently and then they say like I listened to all 26 hours on the audio book. Yeah, do you do I, you think the word reading there is like well, it's, it's, it's just fundamentally not been read <laughs> is it though it's not been they haven't read it they haven't read it yeah. there's some there is a different concentration <laughs> applied to reading it yourself with your own kind of inner monologue or sort of projection of what you're reading your inner voice than listening to Stephen Fry read it out yeah and again, it's passive, and I'm confident you won't take an audiobook in as much as something you read actively. Active listening is probably an underperformed skill. Most people just have it on, and as soon as they think about something else, mm. if you're reading and you start thinking about something else, you stop reading, I think. If you're, yeah. you've got the audiobook on and you're thinking about something else, you then tune back in after a minute and kind of just carry on. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I'm not knocking it. It's great. It's a good way more people can listen to stuff, but I don't think it's the same as reading. If you're sort of actually trying to con like improve your concentration or reading's a skill you can apply to your work and lots of things that isn't true of listening to lots of audiobooks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not knocking it, but it's not the same. Yeah. I went to an ex uh, exhibition on Napoleon in Paris this year and I was getting, but I was like only halfway through this big biography of Napoleon. I was really, and I really wanted to get through it before I went to the exhibition. And then so, in sort of my desperate last few days, I bought the audiobook. And then it's still... The, the book was so big that the audiobook was actually... It was like... I still had like 18 hours or something ridiculous to go. And I thought, oh no, this is not... Even walking around now is not going to be enough time. So I had to... I had to flick it to double speed. And then I went to 2.5 <laughs> listening to it. And I was like... It felt like I was on some like like super robotic form of like absorption but I knew I was like I am definitely getting it but I'm not I'm, it's definitely not as like what I'm taking is not as much I'm no. just basically now I'm feeding on like the narrative of just like give me the next bit I think the point. audiobook also you you are tied to the speed that the narrator or whatever reads it right I'm confident you read quicker than the audiobook do you think so? Oh yeah, yeah. Just in, on normal speed. Yeah, if you're just sat and reading, you're going yeah. quicker than the. Not on my, the not on my pacey two point. No, of course not. Then, <laughs> but that's it. Everyone reads at their own pace, and then you've just been stuck for twenty four hours listening to, yeah, I don't know, whoever it would be. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. But, um, um, so let's talk about films. All right. The, I... the thing I know the least about. <laughs> the thing you said you try not to watch anymore. Um. Yeah, I have been pretty bad with films this year. With um, um, living together where we did in London, we were very close to a cinema that was kind of open all night. We had plenty of late night trips to the cinema. Yeah, we did. And there was like a year or 
there was a year or so when we lived together when I went a bunch, and I actually quite like going to the cinema on my own. It's not my preference, but I actually very happy to do it. Um, completely without me. I mean, without anyone. Oh, we. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went to see a bunch of films, but then this year was pretty bad. Like, there's been a lot I've wanted to see that I haven't managed to catch. Um, what's good stuff? What's good things you saw this year? I would say from... At the moment, I haven't seen First Man still, which I want to see. Me neither. I haven't seen... I haven't seen Star is Born. I don't know. I heard a bad review from a friend of mine on that, so I don't know yeah, if that's the fourth, good. The, the fourth iteration of For, The fourth. It's like Spider-Man. It's um, been made a lot. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remaking the Uncle Ben origin story. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I yeah. haven't been to the cinema a lot since the kind of the Oscar cycle way back when. Um, pick of the bunch from that for me was Phantom Thread, which I'm sure you've seen. No, I haven't seen that. Haven't you? No. Daniel Day-Lewis, once again, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, and I've seen loads of Paul Thomas Anderson films, um, but I do want to see that. You and I went to see, um, what was it? the previous Paul Thomas Anderson film that we were both very excited about Inherent Vice oh man the sort of filmatization of the Thomas Pynchon novel that is a good not the great but a good Thomas Pynchon novel possibly the most filmable it's sort of everything about it was well done but I think we both fell asleep in the cinema which is quite yeah I was uh, I remember we went four people and everyone was excruciatingly (laughs) bored itching to leave it was one of those films that was you know, like, it, it so tried to just get along on the vibe of it. Yeah. You know, like, the way that a film that does it successfully is, like, The Big Lebowski, yeah. right? Where it's it has a the lot of... The vibe really being stoned. Yeah, yeah, and the plot is kind of all over the place and kind of, kind of you lose track of what's really going on, but it doesn't matter because um, the dude is great, um, John Goodman's great, and it's just, like, it's got a funny vibe to it. Um Whereas this almost felt like it was trying to go for like, yeah, the plot's janky and crazy and zany, yeah. but just enjoy the ride. But you don't enjoy the it's ride. Not it's like... And the way that, for me, the way the trailer was pitched suggested it would be quite high tempo. And yeah, zany and zippy, it had a really like funky Slime the Family Stone soundtrack. Yeah. I don't think that song was used in the film. It was yeah. very melancholy, very slow. It was almost like, oh, you thought it was going to be more like a Boogie Nights vibe, right? Yeah. Where he did it like, it's very fast, all this is happening and... No, it was, um, it was uh, whereas Phantom Thread is obviously it's a very different world it's kind of 1950s like Hawk Couture dressmakers in London beautiful scenery Daniel Day-Lewis is phenomenal and it, it's a film about control I would say between a, him and a couple of women in his life right um, fairly minor very minor like minor name actress who plays the kind of love interest um, and some a more prominent senior British actress of whose name I can't remember, but all fantastic. Should really have plugged him another Oscar. I would yeah. have said he, he was different class in it. Um, he has a lovely teapot and uh, cup for his tea. There's a whole scene. I've heard about this. his tea, but it's a lovely, lovely spread for his breakfast. And isn't he like super dedicated to his craft? And he's like really sort of obsessed with his work. And yeah, it's about his obsession and then kind of the obsessions between people at the same time. But um, yeah, he's sort of masterful in everything he's in. And I, directions yeah. fantastic in this. It looks looks beautiful. I'm always attracted to films where, for some reason, I don't, I don't really live like this myself, and maybe that's why, but just someone who is 
singularly obsessed with a thing and just like seems to sacrifice a lot to do it i'm yeah. always like attracted to those sort of uh characters in films because i think it's some kind of like you know you know like they say picasso like never would leave his studio and just kind of just was constantly always engaged in his work and uh to cite another film that we both did see this year like loving vincent mm-hmm. right you see that he has all this struggle for his life but when he um you know he starts painting at like in his late 20s and just seems to he seems to just work frantically like he just knows that he's like gotta get these like masterworks out as quickly yeah. as possible but um, that's a, that's a great film again just for how it's made it tells i thought it told the story of his kind of last years really really well um but the way it's put together so if you haven't seen it or seen the trailers it's uh, made from entirely oil paintings in the style of his work I, I went to the kind of a Q&A screening with the director actually um, in Oxford and they made something like 67,000 individual oil paintings to make each of the stills to film it I think lots wow. of them were painted and then slightly wiped over and repainted just to shift bits and pieces so they don't have that many actual physical yeah, paintings. Because when you watch it the thing's constantly moving, right? It's like yeah. all the shots are always but um, each the paint each always section's moving. kind of in the like there's a starry night section. Yeah. All that kind of thing. But um I think they had well, they had hundreds of oil painters at one point altogether because they were well behind. But um amazing. I think lots of the I think the director was Polish and lots of the artists were in Poland but um really beautifully made really good voice cast as well like Cersei Ronan's in it and yeah and it's got um it's got certain ones they all sort of look like their characters so like yeah. Chris O'Dowd shows up as like a really beardy like old beardy sort of, Irish yeah fisherman. he's like a fisherman or something isn't um, he but yeah that that was really good as as a kind of film that champions art and then one that I know you haven't seen that I loved that was set in the art world was The Square uh, right yeah I, don't know if I really want to see this so Swedish film um but this time with much more American input than his the previous films of his that I have seen, which was essentially just Force Majeure. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I've heard of it. Um, which, again, I thought was very good. That was a little bit more baggy, maybe. Because um, it all kind of turned... That film all turns on one event. It's about a family who goes skiing. At, it's a very black comedy, but there's one moment where the family are having lunch. They think an avalanche is coming, the mum kind of screams and the dad runs off, doesn't do anything to save the family. It turns out there wasn't really an avalanche coming, but in that moment he'd shown himself to be maybe a bit of a coward. Right. And it's about how they deal with that over the rest of right. the skiing holiday. And it's it's very interesting, but it maybe goes on slightly too long. The square is a spoof, I suppose, of the modern... It's set maybe just slightly in the future, I couldn't quite tell, but... Um, it's a spoof of the modern art world set in a gallery in, I think, Gothenburg, somewhere in Sweden. Um, but um, Dominic West from The Wire's in it and Peggy from Mad Men. Elizabeth, Is that Elizabeth Moss. Moss. Yeah, so there's a more prominent American cast as well, but it's primarily about the director of the art gallery. But it's, it's very funny. There's some really good kind of spoofs about the art world and about marketing and all these kinds of things but yeah it, one of the films I've enjoyed in the cinema the most this year and would recommend to everyone yeah um, so The Square yeah I'm gonna go I'm gonna watch it I keep like I think it's on Netflix now yeah I saw it on Amazon Prime as well mm. and I bookmarked it because uh, I have a bunch that I want to see but 
yeah, I definitely want to see that. And I also want to watch, um, speaking before of TV, uh, have you seen Atlanta yet? No. Yeah, I hear that's really good. That's the one with um, uh, Donald Glover, mm. uh, who's also known as Childish Gambino. But apparently it's like one of the best series of this year. Uh, it's on BBC. Be... Yeah. It's... Or is it Sky? I don't know. I yeah, like yeah, BBC. maybe it was BBC. It's meant to be shot in a really interesting way. Um, yeah, so I want to check that out. But um, there was another film you told me about, American Animals. Yeah, so that is the only film I've seen kind of this side of the summer. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Really, really good. I think, not Netflix, it might have been an Amazon Studios job, or it was, I'm trying to think who put the funding together for it. It was funded in quite a bizarre way. Um, I'll think in a second, but it's a true story and shot in a really interesting way. It's about um, a robbery that happened in the US, a US university in 2004 or five, something like that. Um, four American high school guys, uh, not high school, four university like freshman students um, were at a university that in the library at the university, they had a collection of rare books and they planned to steal them. And it's all about them talking it's kind of interspersed with actors playing them and the real people now telling you what happened right. and saying, oh, on that day we had the idea to rob it, so we went and checked out the library and then it shows them how they planned it all together. I thought it was really, really well done. I've not done it justice with my description of what it's about for fear of spoiling anything, but um, it, it asks some really interesting questions about kind of memory and like directorial purpose and you know, oh, did it happen like this? And they do really good things where one person says, oh yeah, we met the guy to sell to sell something to and he was wearing a green shirt and someone else will say, oh no, he was wearing a vest and they replay it from those slightly different perspectives so that you're left with this not quite crystallised version of what happened but also seeing how it bore out in real life for these people mm. and the ramifications it's had. It's kind of a comedy. It's super tense, but it's also I thought really poignant. Um, I thought it was excellent. Really, really good. It hasn't hasn't had that much press or coverage. Yeah, I I'd never heard of it. I haven't heard. John, of it. our my mutual friend, said let's go and see it, and I went on a kind of winged prayer, and it was really, really good. Is that Mister John Halstead? The very same. Wow. Um, I uh, I saw another good film. Uh, have you seen The Founder? Oh, it's excellent. That's good, isn't it? The McDonald's it? story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was... bought it for my dad for his birthday because really? I thought it would be a nice a flashback to the 50s for him. <laughs> Did you buy him a DVD? Yeah. I don't remember which the last is quite... time I've bought someone a DVD. Which now. is still quite futurist, futuristic Futurist. technology for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was um, way more engaging than I thought it would be and I totally skipped it at the cinema. The first it. half, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of like this like devastating critique of him himself, I guess, Ray Kroc, in some ways, in uh, his kind of like ruthless, uh, unscrupulous climb to uh, being the, quote, founder of McDonald's. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's just really fun, like, watching, uh, watching the whole story and kind of reading about it after. But did you ever, like, learn about Ray Kroc at school and stuff? Yeah, we did in business studies. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember learning about him, but no, no one was ever like saying anything bad about him at no, the time. No, great it was guy. Just like, oh, he sold some milkshakes, and then he built McDonald's. It was yeah. great. It didn't stamp over anyone. It was yet. always this like nice story of like, yeah. oh, he was in his fifties and selling yeah. milkshakes. Um, 
yeah, so those are all good. So yeah, I'm gonna go and uh, I'm gonna watch Phantom Thread. I'm gonna watch The Square and American Animals. It's gonna be my homework. Um, is that your way of saying I have to go home now? Look, uh, it is getting late. Um, <laughs> they are long films. Neither so. of my brothers are here at home right now, so there's beds for you. Um, just not in here, I suppose. Just not, just not in my bed. No, fair um, story of my life. Yeah. Um, we did we ever have a did we ever share a bed when we lived together? It's happened. Did we ever share in the whole night? Yeah. Maybe a couple. Couple, couple of times. Yeah. Or not? Yeah, we sort of we sort of lived like an old couple <laughs> at times. Um, this but, is quite a cathartic process for me. I don't know about you, but this is sort of me just shifting some of the baggage of no longer living with you. Um, what just having this to be able to? It just gives me something to hang on to. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're in a really transitional stage right now because we both moved out. I I've moved back to my parents. George is back between Oxford um, and his parents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm thirty years old. Thirty years old. Back at it. Yeah, I went away from like I managed to live out for most of my twenties, and in thirty <laughs> I've come back. Thirtieth birthday, wake up. Parents' house. Yeah. Oh, I, I had this really funny moment where this, like, family friend of ours, Dave, he knocks on the door one day, and my mum's not in, my dad's not in, it's just me. Uh, you were there, I you were there in the kitchen, but he goes, um, he's just asking, like, he said, oh, I'm, I was going to come, and he's like a family friend, and he was like, oh, I thought it's going to come and, like, feed the fish and whatever, oh, is your mum in? I said, oh, she's not in, um, you know, just kind of, like... I was with you at the time, so I was like, oh, well, she's not in, so come back another time. And then he sort of goes, oh, are you, are you back now? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he sort of went on a sort of ramble of being like, oh, yeah, this is it now. These young people, they, they just come back, don't they? That You know, when they can't, like, get a job or when they don't have money, they come live with their parents. That's what I've been reading, like, you know, 30-year-old. Uh, and I sort of didn't... I wanted to say, like... I'm not back because I've run out of money and I've got nothing going on. Like I'm yeah. not. I'm not just like unemployed and I've come back with my tail between my legs. But yeah. but then I realised. Like I was, like, I was like, yeah, well, I'm doing work with Matt, and he was saying, yeah, this is it though. Mm. People, you know, they can't afford to. And then I realised it didn't matter what I say. He had already chosen yeah. what the narrative was, yeah. so it didn't. There was no. I was trying to sort of defend my pride and be like, no, no, I've like I've got stuff going on. But I realised like. This, he that was his story it's very his... hard it's, you and I both like, work from home it's very hard to kind of spin that to people from an earlier generation <laughs> they don't seem to buy into it today I was at my mum's this morning and a uh, guy had to come and fix the roof like a real sort of a real man you know like a, a proper builder <laughs> and he sees me open the door in the middle of the day kind of in my jogging bottoms where I've been sat at my computer working for hours but he just sees me as a kind of freeloader yeah, sat yeah. at home oh 30 nothing else to do let me show you what a ladder looks like yeah um, I'm supposed to feel bad it's brutal yeah that happened when there were some people in like doing cleaning the carpet as well the other day doing like professional carpet cleaning and they just see me sort of in my bedroom, sort of like I've got to like get out yeah. of the room while I clean the carpet. Like, PlayStation. No, 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 I work from here. Yeah. Um, and then they see a Nintendo Switch on the desk. And... <laughs> Put two and two together. Um, yeah. So we're we're doing we're doing this though. We're keeping busy, it, aren't think. we? This yeah. is keeping busy. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We've all got we've got plans, haven't we? We've got plans. <laughs> this 
Yeah, this will keep us ticking over. When, you know, when I might be going travelling next year, George might be in Copenhagen. Yeah. So maybe this will be our way of keeping some contact. Just have a little chat. Hopefully. Turn the mic on. I'll take whatever I can get now. Yeah. Increasingly desperate as this podcast goes on, you can tell. This can be our way of just just keeping the friendship going. Keep it ticking. Um, All right. Well... This was a bit bit meandering, but um, we talked a lot about books, and then we swerved straight to film. There was no real, there's no real kind of narrative. No, but we can work on that. Uh, First, first go. First draft. You know, I'm not going to be too hard on myself. Um, I might be quite critical of you if I listen back, but um, yeah. So we're gonna we'll call it there. Send me tweets and things. Say what you thought. Say if you enjoyed listening to this. Uh, say if there's things you want us to talk about. Um, we, you know, we're both... It's kind of all fair game, isn't it? It's all fair game. We'll we'll have a chat about anything. Um, we can get deeper into George's psyche. He's a very difficult man to get to open up, but he can be probed in the right ways. And I think if we stick with him... Um, and if maybe I get a bit more vulnerable, mm. I think we'll get a very soft side of George come out and something that maybe even his girlfriend never seen. Um, <laughs> That's probably true. Um, we've, um, we've done we've done some bits and pieces before, actually, haven't we? We did a little bit of radio previously. Yeah. This isn't our first kind of... Yeah. People listening probably out. didn't hear that. No, probably, probably unless they were tuned into a specific Oxford radio station. In 2013. Uh, <laughs> in 2013. Um... Yeah, if you did, give us a shout. Yeah, it'd be Um, be great to hear from you again. (laughs) Great to hear from the fans. Um, Yeah, all right. Well, we'll call it a day there. Thanks for listening, and we will catch up soon. More to come. Thank you. Thanks, George.